The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hello, my friends, and welcome to this, another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. My name is Josh Norris, as always, joined here by Ian Harditz and energetically John Daigle. Gentlemen, if we can peel back the curtain here for a moment, each and every week, it can be a little difficult to know what this small talk, what this discourse can be before we actually get into the important part of the podcast. We always try to start off with some fluff. Uh, there's a lot of things hit on today. Most notably, John Daigle, this shirt that you are wearing. I know I've been commenting on the Thursday episode with Roto Pat and how he has taken the wardrobe to the next level. Daigle, your appearance today is at least matching him, if not surpassing him. And I got the shirt expedited, actually. But the thing is, I forgot that I won't be on Thursday's episode to try and trump Pat's clothing. So instead, I had to wear it here just for you. Well, for the listeners, you know, just audio that cannot see it visually, can you at least explain this garment that you are wearing right now? It is an Aloha shirt, but instead of flowers and palms, although it does have some kind of pattern on it, uh, it's a bunch of, I'll move it to the camera, it's a bunch of anime Ric Flair's. <laughs> which is, I wish it was a joke, but it's not a joke. It's kind of, they're kind of all over the place. And he's doing different poses and robe and yep. his jacket. The baddest player in the game, Josh, on my shirt. Yeah, you're idle. I obviously would have pegged you as a Ric Flair fan. And like I said before we got started, now you have to log into their website, whatever company makes that glorious outfit. Uh, and buy every single one of your size. Also, Ian Harditz, I have something to talk to you about as well, because I was gone on a mini vacation, at least two days, removing myself from this computer up in the mountains this weekend. And I think it was Sunday night. I returned to my phone and Twitter and just have so many responses of Josh, put Ian in his place. Josh, <laughs> fix your man. Josh, help your man. There was this picture, this oh, photograph yeah. in that you have this nice looking mac and cheese and you just destroy it by putting a, a puddle, a pond of ketchup directly next to it. What gives? Haters, man. There's just haters everywhere. They came out of the woodworks insulting my ketchup and mac and cheese. You know, it's good that there's people like myself and Patrick Mahomes in the world who recognize that, you know, just because someone tells you what you're eating, you know, doesn't look good. It doesn't matter. It tastes good. So, you know what? Yeah, I got ratioed. I don't care. I'm going to continue putting ketchup <laughs> on my macaroni and cheese. I'm going to continue having hot dogs for Thanksgiving, and people are going to continue giving me crap about it. And I don't care because myself and the Super Bowl MVP have the same diet. So let that sink in. Never would I have thought you would have gotten ratioed for your food and not your takes on Alden Tate. 
There oh, we go. Unprovoked shot there, Josh. <laughs> the food takes are much more egregious stuff. Uh, okay, so later on in this episode, we have a topic which we did last year, which I found interesting. And actually, this group is, I think, even better than the 2019. Which teams have the best chance of going worst to first? So put that to the side. We'll get to that in a moment because there has been some notable football news in the last 48 hours, which has been difficult to say in the last few months. Um, basically, Adam Sheffer reported that Dalvin Cook is going to hold out without a new contract. Um This is, and I'll give you a direct quote that Adam gave. He's out, a source told Adam Schefter, without a reasonable extension, he will not be showing up for camp or beyond. And reasonable is interesting because I believe the team offered him somewhere in the range uh, under $10 million, and Dalvin Cook is looking in the range of $14 to $13 million. So there's a lot of layers to this. Dago, I want to throw it to you first um, because we know that Dalvin – was just an incredible running back last year. But what is his leverage? What is the situation he's put himself in right now, entering the final year of his rookie contract? And can he possibly get another one? The most recent number we have are his side proposed $16 million annually, close to Christian McCaffrey's extension, but have since backed down to around $15 million. So budging a little bit. But the fact is, like you said, the team initially offered under $10 million. So we still have a little bit of a ways to go, especially since he'll supposedly take $13 million, which I don't think he'll get in the end. But, and let's take this with a grain of salt, because I am certainly no CBA expert, especially with a new one in play here. Uh, as far as I can tell, players have to report at the start of camp uh, instead of 30 days prior to the first game to accrue a season. So the start of training camp. And fines can't be waived by the team unless players are on their rookie deal, which Cook just so happens to be. So the initial report was that he plans on holding out throughout the season and throughout camp. But hypothetically, unless I'm mistaken, and it's a long shot, of course, but he could show up, train at camp, and then walk away and return in week 10 and still accrue that that season to become an unrestricted free agent as opposed to a restricted one. But the fact is we're looking at, if he stays away, max fines of $1.2 million per the the guys at Over the Cap who are doing tremendous work with this right now. Um, And, of course, that means that it would be $40,000 per day since he's still on his rookie deal. Ian? Yeah, I mean – Go get your money, Dalvin. I think, you know, we hear these running backs and we talk about, okay, are they worth that money? And, you know, the whole running backs don't matter thing. It's obviously the position matters. It's just that we've seen again and again and again, you have these great running backs and they are fun to watch. Dalvin Cook's one of the, you know, in my opinion, best players in the league with the ball in his hands. But, you know, we saw Alexander Madison. We saw Mike Boone in this very offense last year also have plenty of success. So, you know, I just worry for Dalvin if this turns into what we saw last year with, you know, Melvin Gordon, where, Yes, it's, you know, go get your money, man. If you can get paid, absolutely. But got some talented guys here. And unfortunately for Dalvin, I mean, we have about two decades worth of evidence that, you know, Gary Kubiak can slot in anyone into his offense and make them look like a pretty dang good running back. So we'll see what happens. Josh, I know you've been, you know, waiting for this moment because Alexander Madison, you know, you've been on top of that hype train for a long time. But it'll be interesting because I will say, you know, in last year, Cook got hurt at the end of the year. We really only had about, a second less than a second half worth of action of Alexander Madison as that guy. There was some weird like Mike Boone usage in there as well. Like, okay, Madison, I think we can all agree, will be the lead back there if Dalvin's gone. But how much will he be? Is he going to be the 60, 70% feature guy? 
I would think so. But Josh, curious on your thoughts there. How much of a factor will Thurman Abdullah be if Cook is out? I would say that they would then take the Alexander Madison role. You know, I I think that this team obviously views Alexander Madison as a fantastic talent. That's why they took him in the middle rounds last year. And it wasn't just for the potential holdout of Dalvin Cook, because how was the Vikings team supposed to expect Dalvin to have the season he had last year based on how many games he had missed prior to that? No, they probably view Alexander Madison as a talent that can be a foundation, a feature, a bell cow back, whatever um, term you want to use. Dagle, back to your point, I totally understand running backs un- knowing that now is the time to get your money, right? But at the same time, you have to understand what the market is. And we've heard this name of David Johnson be evoked by, I, it seems like those close to Dalvin Cook. Not the name I would throw out there if I'm trying to get a team to pay me money, because obviously we've seen so many of these backs, you know, be bad investments once they go on to their second contracts. And it sounds like it's not a good situation right now, right? Like last week was the last time these two sides have talked. There are no further contract negotiations scheduled at this time, but we also know how quickly this changes. And just to close, I it, it doesn't seem logical that Dalvin can just sit out like Le'Veon Bell or sit out like Melvin Gordon even, because losing that accrued season can be drastic. I mean, you you then go from being an unrestricted free agent to being a restricted free agent. And if they put a second round tender on you, then you obviously most likely are not going to be going to another team and getting a a larger contract than the one you're handed in in that environment. So it just seems like it's lining up to me, Daigle, that Dalvin is going to report, even if that seems unlogical at this time. And Zeke also skipped that 30-day deadline, but... As Courtney Cronin points out, just like the Cowboys, the Vikings have recently had the deadlines make deals mentality as well, inking Stephon Diggs, Xavier Rhodes, Everson Griffin, and Linville Joseph to extensions just prior to camp. So we still have a couple months, a month and a half or so, to figure this thing out. And for whatever it's worth, who knows? I think it'll change a little bit. But last night, the night of the news, the first night of post-Alvin Cook holding outs, um, one of the expert drafts, $350, 500K to grand prize entry, uh, they did see Dalvin Cook still as the RB5 in the middle of the first round and Alexander Madison as the RB40 in fantasy at the beginning of the ninth round. So despite having that news, I will say so far, nothing has changed in high stakes leagues either. Yeah, and honestly, real quick, I, I was just about to say with the fantasy rankings, I think the only change right now that you should make is, you know, if you had Kamara as your RB5 and Cook as your RB4, which I think has kind of been the standard around the industry, flip-flop them, but I still think Cook is in that tier before the rest of the running backs for sure. To your point, Daigle, Dalvin has been the running back four, and Alexander Madison has been the running back 47. I'm sure Madison will skyrocket from there, but based on the discussion we've just had that a lot of people out there who know the CBA – It would be a shock if Dalvin falls too far down. And if he does, he just becomes a value beyond that running back five or running back six mark. And finally, I understand it from the Viking side, right? If they don't want to pay him. I mean, he's played in 29 games of a potential 48 in his career. I mean, both shoulder injuries, a knee injury, obviously. I love Dalvin Cook. We all love Dalvin Cook. He's electric in that offense. But gosh, it can be so difficult. And I'm just glad I don't have to run a team because you fall in love with these players who produce at a high level for you, then you have to have like this out-of-body perspective of, okay, let me remove myself from the situation and see if this 
the, the appropriate action to pay a running back a second contract. And for most, it certainly hasn't been. Okay, let's get into the real topic today. Teams most likely to go from worst to first. Obviously, there are eight of these teams. I will list them how this conversation is hopefully going to go. We haven't ironed out the plans fully, but we will, in the end, basically have a ranking of teams most likely to go from worst to first um, and, and just kind of rank and chart and stick teams above or below ones who are already on the list. Okay, here are the first eight teams, and then Daigle, I will pivot over to you to nominate probably the one that you think deserves to be at the bottom of the list. Here are the eight teams, the Jaguars, the Bengals, the Chargers, the Dolphins, the Panthers, the Lions, the Cardinals, and the Redskins. Fun group, fun group of eight teams, some we've already discussed. Daigle, which one do you think most likely has no shot of winning their division this year? We already disagree pre-show because I genuinely think five of these teams don't have a chance. But I do like talking about the bad teams because they can still be exciting. And one of the exciting bad teams, I'm sorry, Panthers insider Josh Norris, but the Panthers just cannot compete in the NFC South. Uh, yes, their offense could be explosive, but, and I should say, Brian Burns, Derek Brown, Yutor Gross Matos, exciting blue chippers, but there is no question that defense and that unit and that division and that conference and the entire league will finish as one of the worst uh, just because they do not have the personnel in place, especially with all the young players to compete this year. Uh, the offense, again, we like in fantasy just because we expect this defense to perform poorly. And I just don't think you can keep up and match teams when you have Dante Jackson, Eli Apple and Troy pride, basically leading your nickel product every single Sunday. Yeah, man. I, again, I think there'll be a fun offense for sure, but I'm with you, Dago. And going through these teams before the podcast, I kept finding myself saying the same thing. Like, well, defense maybe gets lucky, has some good turnover luck this year. You know, they threw some pieces at it. Maybe they get to average. And, hey, maybe the offensive line gels and is better than we thought. But on paper, no. This should be a, not only a league-worst defense, but the offensive line should be in a worse spot than they were last year after getting rid of Turner and only getting Okung back. So, Maybe Teddy with Brady and just all these, you know, yak monsters they have throughout the offense. They can do a check down heavy scheme that, you know, makes the most of what they got. But, you know, we, we really need this Panthers team to perform pretty much in their 99 percentile in order to compete in this NFC South this year for sure. Yeah, it would be a shock if the Panthers defense isn't in the bottom 10 against the run and the bottom 10 against the pass. Um, and. You know, there are less talented teams that we are going to talk about, but no one is in a more difficult division than the Carolina Panthers. Like, I'm sure we'll get into this conversation. Well, if, if their luck goes this way with an injury, another team, maybe they have a, a alleyway or a path to winning the division. There's no chance for the Panthers. Like Drew Brees, Tom Brady, and Matt Ryan all have to get injured in order for the Panthers to have success. And, I mean, again, you both have mentioned it. The offense is going to be fun, but it's just not a team that is complete enough to topple all three of those that we discussed. And I, I totally agree that they belong in the bottom two to three on their list, on this list. Um, I'll throw out actually the, I'll throw out the Cincinnati Bengals as the next team. Okay. Because while they have their foundation now and they have their identity now in Joe Burrow, I think the offensive line is a fatal flaw. I think that it might be the worst unit in the NFL and while they absolutely should be better than what they were in 2019, it's too tall of a task to topple the likes of the Baltimore Ravens 
and the Pittsburgh Steelers, who obviously show what they can do without their quarterback last year, still win more games, uh, go eight and eight. And then obviously the Cleveland Browns have some talent on their team as well. Yeah, I mean, going through these teams, like individually, I don't think the Bengals deserve to be in the bottom two. But when you add the notion that, okay, they are in just this completely loaded AFC North, I kind of see why they're down here. But, you know, with those questions, at least this offensive line gets Jonah Williams back. They essentially, you know, have that second first round pick uh, coming. And the defense, you know, we talked about this with the Jets this offseason in terms of their offensive line where they just threw a ton of resources at it, hoping something's going to stick. That's kind of what the Bengals did on defense. I mean, they took Vikings cornerbacks, Mackenzie Alexander and Trey Waynes. They got Von Bell from the Saints. They paid DJ Reader a ton of money to helpfully go solidify that interior defensive line. I mean, there were still some decent players on that defense last year, you know, with Atkins, uh, Dunlap, even William Jackson was kind of playing through some injuries. You've seen him play at a high level in the past. I mean, if Joe Burrow is as good as he looked last year, which was one of the best college quarterbacks we've ever seen, I can see this Bengals team, you know, flirting with 500, but it just comes back to, okay, they're not going to top the Ravens. If Big Ben's healthy, they're not going to top the Steelers. And I think we all expect the Browns to go forward too. So, hey, I'm up. Bengals 2021, guys. Let's get it. Ian has been one of the loudest voices for Burrow as a late-round quarterback with upside this offseason, but that's because their offense could be exciting. Um, He touched on it. Their defense is still worrisome. And as you said, Josh, the offensive line, as much as we love Jonah Williams, arguably the best tackle among last year's class prior to injury, there's still a lot to learn about this team as the whole. And the fact is they still have the 11th toughest, toughest schedule based on Vegas win totals alone, if only because they're in arguably the toughest division in the entire league. Because if we project the Browns to also be better this year under a new regime, that kind of just pushes the Bengals back since they're now forced to play three of the t- toughest contenders in the AFC twice. Yep, super fun skill position players. We keep saying it, right? Joe Burrow along with Joe Mixon, along with Tyler Boyd, along with A.J. Green, along with John Ross, and Flashes, along with T. Higgins, and I guess you can throw Alden Tate in there every once in a while, even though he's probably going to play 15% of the snaps in Harditz. Um, Okay, so we have two in this bottom group that we absolutely don't think will win their division. Ian, is there anyone else you think belongs in this grouping? And then we'll kind of rank those three. Yeah, I think the Washington Redskins also belong in this bottom three. And kind of like – the Bengals, I mean, it's just the NFC East is just really looking kind of stacked with the Cowboys and the Eagles on top. I know they've had that really weird, like, decade-long streak of not being a repeat NFC East winner. But even the Giants, I think, I mean, just in terms of the offense, they, they, they have a chance to outperform the Redskins uh, this year as well. I mean, there is one just massive strength on this Washington roster, and that is the defensive line. They've just invested so heavily in this over the years. I mean, Chase Young, Montez Sweat, Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, these are all talented first-round picks that they've gotten since 2017 alone. You still got guys like Ryan Kerrigan on there who have been doing their thing for much longer. So the D-line is complete nasty, even though, you know, I'm a I'm an OSU homer as much as the next guy. I'm quietly looking forward to seeing the leaps Dwayne Haskins going to make in year two. It's just too much of a leap, though, considering they gave him pretty much no other weapons. Offensive line remains a massive issue. And on defense, like other than that defensive line, there's problems throughout the rest of the team. So maybe among these groups, like I might take that Washington defensive line and put that position group against any other position group on a team, but everywhere else they're just below average. If Dwayne Haskins makes a leap, and if this front seven proves to be ferocious, they should legitimately hang a banner in the arena because that's a win this year. 
I mean, they, you basically are giving them no expectations whatsoever. So to come away with anything to build on in 2021 is ultimately a victory for a team that stripped their entire front office and GM and yada, 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 just to get new blood in there to create something hopeful for this year. Just having this conversation right now, for some reason, I'm kind of most hopeful for Washington compared to the other two teams we just talked about. And maybe it's because of, you know, Dwayne Hassan's being the latest to post thirst traps on Twitter, um, where it makes me buy in a little bit to his progression of of what, what might be there. Um, but, you know, I'm excited about Terry McLaurin. I'm excited about Antonio Gibson. I'm excited to see what Scott Turner can do as a play caller who can manufacture touches. And most importantly, and it's a great point that you made, Ian, that Washington defense, namely the front, is probably the best position group that we've talked about so far. And, you know, optimists would say that it might be headed in the direction of the 49ers defensive line and being able to pressure and create disruption up front. And we saw how much that aided them. I would also say, though, that the 49ers had one of the, if not the best linebacker in the league last year, and also have Richard Sherman and a bunch of talent in the secondary as well. Um, again, I like Washington. I, I'm probably more optimistic than I was three weeks ago on the Redskins. And I would put them third from the bottom. This is how I would rank it. And you guys let me know if you disagree with this, okay? For the bottom three, it would be Washington, then the Bengals, then the Panthers. The Panthers being eight? Yes. Would you would you yeah. put them with the Bengals? No, I think that's fair. I would say the top of the NFC East isn't maybe as strong as the top of the other divisions. And it's it's hard to say much nice things about the rest of the Washington Ross other than the D-line. So, yeah. That's fair. Yeah, yeah, look, I mean, again, I think the Panthers have a better roster than the Bengals. I think they're a better team than the Bengals. You can obviously make that case with the Washington Redskins as well being worse than the Panthers. But I just see absolutely no way they can topple all three of the teams to win the NFC South because that is the most loaded division in football. Okay, so we have six, seven, eight, the Washington Redskins, the Cincinnati Bengals, and the Carolina Panthers. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Um, I'll just throw out a team. I'll throw out a team here. Let's go to the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, crazy how much a team can change in the last few years, right? I mean, this was a team a couple years ago with Blake Borders at quarterback that was built on defense, had the best defense in the entire league. A.J. Boyer 
Jalen Ramsey, guess what? Both those names are gone now. You know, they, they had to immediately pivot over to this unknown rookie last year who showed exceptional playmaking ability. I mean, I was stunned each time I, I went back and watched Gardner Minshew because there were times early in the season when he played like the best rookie quarterback in the NFL. You know, he doesn't have the best arm. He plays unbalanced a lot, but he, he wills plays out of his team. And I think he's a direct connection as to why DJ Chark was an absolute breakout player last year. This is a fun team that has a lot of talent on it, but I am drastically nervous that they haven't done enough from a coaching perspective, from a front office perspective, that gives me enough confidence that they really have changed as much as I actually think they have. And remember, Minshew was the overall quarterback 10 in fantasy through his first eight starts before the team basically had to put Nick Foles back in and test the waters with that contract they gave him in the offseason. I'm not saying they could win these games, okay, because they still have incompetency at the head of the table and that coaching staff they kept around. But arguably no team opens the year with a softer schedule, and that's what makes Minshew in this offense so much fun to view. Uh, Jaguars host the Colts in their season opener, then travel to Tennessee and face Dolphins, Bengals, Texans, and Lions before hitting their bye. Again, all of those are winnable games, honestly. The fact is, though, I'm sure Ian may mention this a little bit, their defense is also uh, probably going to be an issue. Daigle, where's the AFC Championship Dark Horse well, that's uh, why, conversation I thought I was going to get? That's why, though, you can't put them in the, with those bottom three because I still think the AFC South is so weak and wide yeah. open that they could potentially – like if we're expecting the Texans' offense to fall backwards and we know they don't have that great of a defense anyhow, and then the Colts still have question marks with Phillip Rivers, again, we can't just pencil them in to bounce back immediately after last year. And then Tennessee's offense, we don't expect to be that explosive as well. Uh, suddenly it's kind of open for Jacksonville to sneak in. But there you go. You got me to say it. I hear you. The, the, the division argument is, I think, what you need to hang your hat on because, yeah, it's just kind of one of these things, again, where we're just – we're doing a lot more hoping than analyzing with this defense. You know, kudos to them for adding Joe Schober. You know, they got also Rodney Gunter. But, you know, when you lose Calais Campbell, A.J. Boye, we don't know what's going on with Yana. Kind of haven't heard from him on social media in a while, but that situation doesn't seem like it's gotten any better. You know, we're going to need those three top 75 – pick defenders to produce as rookies because it doesn't, doesn't look like a Talvin Smith's going to be coming back anytime soon. You know, it looks like a bottom barrel defense. Maybe if these guys step up, they're going to approach average. I think on the offense, you might just be giving me a little bit too much credit. This offensive line still trash behind DJ Chark. I mean, LaVisca, the rookie, he's kind of going to be their next weapon. I hope this offense gets away from feeding Leonard Fournette 300 plus touches. We kind of saw what, <coughs> excuse me. We, we saw it doing that tops out with, I don't know, John. I feel like we're just jumping in way too many hoops here. But the AFC South argument, I get it. Yeah, the, the division argument, I mean, in their division, is the Indianapolis Colts, who have obviously a decent roster last year and hoping for an improvement from Jacoby Brissett to Phillip Rivers. But it's not a stretch to say that Phillip Rivers' arm might be even more questionable this year than it was last year. You have the Tennessee Titans, who you know were a 10- to 12-game wonder last year, not including the playoffs. Um and who knows if, if that recipe is going to work once again in year two. And then you have the Houston Texans. Houston Texans, new play caller, you know, trading away DeAndre Hopkins, trying to work in the backfield with David Johnson and still had offensive line questions last year. 
you know, the, the division argument is probably the best one. But Ian, to go back to your point, there's the Leonard Fournette situation. There's the Yannick Ngakwe situation. Certainly not calling this team flawless at all. But the early season momentum that Daigle brought up as a possibility would do wonders if we all believe in Big Mo for a win-loss column in the win-loss column uh, for teams in the season. I also think Jay Gruden is one of those guys who should never be a head coach again, but fits quite well, kind of like Wade Phillips in a specific role in the league. And I think he's a really good offensive coordinator. Also, I'm offended by the O-line is trash comment. I think Juwan Taylor and Andrew Norrell actually promising players who just had down years. Could be wrong there. But I think if they become an average offensive line, that suddenly this entire offense becomes extremely fun. Uh, we don't have to put them at five right now. Let's just like talk about this group that we might still think that they are in five. It's fine. Okay. Uh, Ian, is there another team that you think is kind of in that same category as the Jacksonville Jaguars? I mean, like the chargers just in, just because the chiefs should be the overwhelming favorites in the AFC West rosters. You can't even compare the Chargers versus Jaguars. I mean, there's talent everywhere. And this Los Angeles Chargers team, you know, we know the defense is loaded. Bosa, Ingram, I'm really high on Denzel Perryman, uh, Thurman James, Casey Hayward, Desmond King, Chris Harris, literally studs everywhere. I think, you know, Hayward and King maybe aren't quite as good as we were giving them credit for uh, two years ago. But, you know, you got Chris Harris in that mix. Hopefully we get a healthier uh, Derman James. And, you know, this secondary is going to be legit. And with those, you know, beasts on the D-line I mentioned, defense is going to be very good. But it's just can you get past the Chiefs? Can you get past an up-and-coming Broncos team? The Raiders? I'm not high on, but, you know, we got guys like Peter King throwing them into their top 10 power rankings uh, for next season. So, you know, it's the AFC West kind of underrated, looking like a pretty strong division. I don't think Tyrod and Herbert are really going to be the answer in 2020. But, hey, with Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Hunter Henry, Austin Eckler, maybe an improved offensive line. There's definitely a chance for the Chargers to contend for a playoff spot if things go their way. I just don't know how they get past the Chiefs or anyone else for that matter. No matter how improved they are this year, and I really think they were the ones who put uh, the best concerted efforts into improving points of weakness, whether it was their offensive line, uh, whether it was their defense. Like I think the Chargers got stronger across the board outside of quarterback. Uh, We're going to know immediately with this team because they host the Chiefs in week two. So no matter what happens in traveling to Cincinnati against Joe Burrow in the season opener, like Patrick Mahomes coming to town for essentially the Chargers of Super Bowl, like that's going to tell us where we should do them the rest of the year pretty much. I think that this is the division, the AFC West, that probably is the most jumbled in terms of you have the Kansas City Chiefs out in front, clear out in front. But I would listen to any argument that says the Broncos the next team or any argument that says the Raiders the next team or any argument that says the Chargers. Or the next team. And for the Chargers, it probably comes down to what Tyrod Taylor are we getting? Is it the one that we've seen in the past who obviously can win? Or is he someone who can really elevate everyone around him? Is he going to lift everyone around him? And if not, and I think that this is the possibility, maybe the real possibility for them to have that path to winning this division. What if what if Justin Herbert just like goes out and outplays him in the preseason? Whatever preseason we have. If it's two or three games, what if Justin Herbert just looks drastically better than Tyrod Taylor? Will the Chargers and Anthony Lynn have enough confidence, enough faith in their rookie in that moment? Because if not, then they might be you know, decreasing their odds of victory, their ceiling as an offense, if they just want to trot the veteran out there. 
But what if Justin Herbert just comes in and lights the league on fire like we have seen other rookies do compared to the, you know, spot starter, the fill-in starter, the guy who is warming the seat for that rookie in the future? Um, Again, a a storyline we have seen in the past. Ian might have a different spin on this, but I just don't see Anthony Lynn as the type of leader of men like Pete Carroll where they extend or they sign Matt Flynn in the offseason but Russell Wilson outplays him, rookie Russell Wilson, and so they throw him under center. Like Anthony Lynn has ties to Tyrod Taylor from Buffalo, and unfortunately, we know the NFL is a buddy-buddy league. I think those way stronger than no matter how Herbert performs, in my opinion. I, don't, I think it's just the draft capital. I mean, quarterbacks are not selected in the top 10 picks to sit on the bench. I mean, we've seen this happen again and again and again. Okay, I, mean, I think Mahomes went barely outside the top 10, but first-round quarterbacks generally as a whole, you know, the overwhelming majority start at least 10 games to rookie. Even when we have these situations, you know, where the Daniel Joneses and the Josh Allens, everyone throws up in their mouths when they're picked. I know Justin Herbert has some people questioning if he could even be a, be a you know, viable professional quarterback. People are scoffing that he could be going over to a. I get it. I'm not even disagreeing with those takes. But again, quarterbacks get drafted in the top 10. Doesn't take much for the front office to say, hey, guys, let's see what we got. So, okay, do we feel like that is the ranking at four and five, the Chargers at four, Jaguars at five? Yes? In terms yeah. of winning their division, yes. Yeah, because I think the Chargers have a, a much better chance to even finish like number two in their division, whereas Jacksonville, still a lot of things have to happen. Yeah. Um, by the way, the alternate title to this podcast is, hey, these are teams we haven't talked about enough this offseason so far. So now we can talk about <laughs> teams. Here you go. Um, okay. Who hasn't Dale, you haven't nominated in quite a bit. Um, there's like a top three. I really think there's a top three that has a chance of winning their division most of this group. Which one do you want to talk about first, Dale? And then we can rank it later. Let's start with the Dolphins. Because that go ahead. That would be my pick. That would be oh. my pick to win it. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, I don't know if they'll win the division, to be quite honest, but I would say especially since they're returning a significantly similar offensive cast. What I'm most not excited, but curious to see is if and how much their offensive line, arguably the worst in the entire league last year, improves with these new faces in year one. Uh, Austin Jackson, we know, the youngest tackle among this year's class, drafted in the first round to take over at left tackle immediately. Robert Hunt, arguably who uh, was the best guard had he transitioned there from LSU like he initially was expected to, suddenly sticking at right tackle and starting there this year. And then they added Ted Karras from the Patriots in free agency and whatever they can get out of Eric Flowers in year one, who knows. But the fact is, at least it's not the same guys that they had last year who just proved inept at that position. So I'm curious, especially if we have Tua under center, which still is up in the air right now, um, this unit in particular, like even a leap to league average would help immensely. Yeah. I mean, Tua gives them the ceiling. I'll give them that. I just think we're kind of overrating this Dolphins team from last year. I think they're still a year away. Look, they had the really fun week 17 win over the Patriots. They shocked everyone when they beat Philly in week 13. You know, they lost the Jets and Giants like pretty convincingly between that. So let's, this was never a good football team. The only success they had on offense all year was Fitzpatrick throwing up 50-50 balls to Devontae Parker, Mike Jacecki earlier in the year, Preston Williams. You know, maybe Tua is perfectly capable of doing that as well. But 
I think with, you know, kind of his, we're hoping we're getting hundred percent to it. Everyone's telling us his hips fine, but the offensive line better be okay. Because if not, we could be going back to Fitzpatrick sooner rather than later. So just one of these things, you know, Fitzpatrick led this team in rushing last year. It's just, I know the AFC East is down, but I think the Dolphins were still very far away from being a good team last year. We were all just pleasantly surprised when they turned out not to be one of the worst teams in NFL history. I, I guess I got a cape for another team on this podcast. Uh, look, you forgot to mention they also beat the New England Patriots in, in week 17, a Patriots team that was, that. He that was that. absolutely trying to win. I, I This is a team that maybe has the best two corners in the NFL, the best two starting corners in the NFL in terms of a pair, and Byron Jones and then Xavier Howard. You know, then they spend a first round pick on Noah I, as we refer to him in this podcast. Um, so look, if, Great defenses across the league are prioritizing secondary over pass rush. Boom. The Dolphins have that. You mentioned that, sure, this offense was a bit hit or miss last year um, with Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback. You mentioned Preston Williams. He only played a handful of games and was a fantastic um, college free agent. Devontae Parker finally hit his stride, hit his peak. What if that only continues? Mike Kosicki, it feels like they didn't really realize how to use them until halfway through the season. And yes, I think they have two running backs now on the roster better than what they had at the end of last season. Patrick Laird was their rusher for a game. Guys, now you at least get Matt Breida and Jordan Howard in the backfield with hopefully an improved offensive line. And I'm even including if Ryan Fitzpatrick is a starter with Chan Gailey, who has great history with, and if Tua gives them a better chance to win, then Tua's a quarterback. And more important than anything, and this is why this conversation is fun, it's not just about the individual team, it's about the division that they're in. There is no team in this division now who has a stranglehold on the position, who, who, who has the ability to lock that in. The Patriots have done it for so long. Nope, not anymore. The Buffalo Bills, Josh Allen, roller coaster. What if it goes on the decline in 2020? Then the New York Jets and Adam Gase is a is a fire that is combustible right now. There's an easy path for me to see the Miami Dolphins winning the AFC East in 2020. Oh, man, we want to go there? I guess. First of all, well, I would take the Ravens. Again, let, I, I want to frame it in this conversation. I'm not yeah. picking the Dolphins to win. I've obviously picked the Bills to do it. But no, in this conversation, I, I, I absolutely think they might have the best shot. It's wide open. I had him as my number two team, so I'm not, like, you know, super disagreeing with you here. One issue I'm going to take, I would take the Ravens, Patriots, Saints, Steelers, and Chargers starting cornerbacks over Byron Zavian. All right, Zavian, credit to him for taking number one wide receivers last year, but that dude got roasted almost every time he did do so. Byron Jones, we're going from him playing a nice little cozy system in Dallas where he never had to move from his left side of the field. Now he's being paid 80 million plus. We'll see if they're still doing that. You know, adding the first round cornerback helps. It's a strength for sure. But what's going on with the rest of the defense? All right. I mean, again, smart teams, the Patriots have, you know, said, okay, cornerbacks are more important defensive line. If they had any semblance of a pass rush, though, or just anything decent up the middle, I'd feel better about believing this defense is going to be anything better than below average this year. Well, they did spend a first-round pick in 2019 on Christian Wilkins, so maybe he takes a step in 2020. They went out and signed, you know, somewhat low price for agents in terms of the edge rushing market and Shaq Lawson, Emmanuel Oba, and maybe there can be some, like, rotation for that. And then you bring in Calvin Noy, who has absolutely been a pass rusher for the Patriots when asked and called upon to do that. I like the mix of young players and veteran players and guys who haven't played their best ball yet. And, again, may, maybe I'm counting on Brian Flores to – equal the coaching job he did in 2019, which was one of the best in the league. But in the scope of this conversation, 
I'd put the Dolphins at the top. I would. They brought in a few Patriots players purposely, obviously. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's I don't know what you want me to say. Well, they, well, they they go- Let, let's nominate another one then. I, th- I think we've talked about the, the Dolphins enough, and I'm sure we'll go back to this conversation. Yeah, Why don't you talk about your Detroit Lions? Because on previous podcasts, you've hyped up the Lions as a – possible offensive juggernaut in some situations. I got yelled at because they're the mo- one of the most fun teams to watch in the league and no one recognizes that all because we had to suffer through David Blau for a few starts, even though Jeff Driscoll was a lot of fun too. But the fact is they are an explosive offense. We've already talked about this with Matthew Stafford, led the whole league in air yards per attempt from under center in his first year under OC Daryl Bevel. And now we have everyone working together for an entire offseason. They brought back the essentially the same offensive cast, whatever you think Geronimo Allison would do from the slot, even though I don't think he'll play over Danny Amendola much. Either way, they improved also with DeAndre Swift from the backfield. I think they remain one of the most explosive offensive teams and fun teams to watch the entire league. The fact is, though, even though they should be able to compete, Matt Patricia is still there as head coach. And again, he is the reason why they went 3-3-1 and in one-score games last year. Yes, that metric tends to regress from year to year, but I also think it doesn't whenever your head coach makes incorrect decisions most of the time. So I'm still worried about their win-loss category, but that doesn't mean they won't be a fun and explosive offensive again in 2020. Also quietly a team, and we're talking about the Dolphins improving their cornerback room. How about adding Jeffrey Okuda and, you know, whatever is left of Desmond Trufant to Detroit? I mean, losing Darius Slay, I get it. Might not even equal that out. But we did see them throw a lot of pieces, particularly New England Patriot cast-offs, to this defense, they can't be much worse than they were last year. And, you know, with that defense with Stafford, they were still competing to be the number one team in that division. I mean, they started the year 3-4-1 and one with Stafford, but one of those was a weird, weird, weird four-point loss to the Chiefs where, you know, 99-yard fumbles were going against them. And that one-point loss to the Packers in that primetime game that was just a robbery and could have been overturned after the game, you know, if we felt like it. So I get it. A lot of teams have those fluky losses that go one way or another. We can do this for – a lot of teams, but you have Stafford who finally looked like this juggernaut that he's you know been paid to be for so long. Yeah, it turns out not checking the ball down the Golden Tate and theoretic all game, he can do some good things. The NFC North is the big argument here, guys. Because look, the Packers, we all know Packers were an eight and eight team last year that went like nine and one and one score games and were able to do that. Big time regression there. The Vikings. Oh, I, I don't know. The defense looks for the first time. The defense isn't going to have the same sort of uh, continuity that we've seen in past years. You know, can Kirk Cousins keep playing that great? At least some questions there. And the Bears, I mean, okay, we're going from Trubisky to Foles. We'll see if Foles is going to play, you know, like Eagles Foles or like Doug Marone, Jeff Fisher Foles. So NFC North could take steps back across the board. The Lions are not far away from competing in this division, guys. I know it's our number one team. You might be swaying me. Ian Harditz. That's a great argument you just made. And we started this conversation off, you know, criticizing offensive lines. I think we need to praise the Detroit Lions offensive line because it really allows that team to be inside of structure when they have a competent quarterback. And then you go and spend obviously a lot of money and big V for him to play on the right side somewhere. And the conversation of this division, the one score games with the Green Bay Packers, there's obviously going to be some regression that is inevitable for that team. Um, the Minnesota Vikings, there's been a lot of turnover and they still won 10 games though, with how poorly that secondary name of the cornerbacks played last year and the bills. I just, I mean, excuse me, the bears, I just have zero ability to have any confidence in the Chicago bears at all. Um, 
Yeah, I can definitely see the Detroit Lions as one of the top two teams here. Before we rank these three, there's still one more team we need to talk about, Ian. That's the Arizona Cardinals. That is the Arizona Cardinals. And look, you know, when you draft a guy, number one overall, generational quarterback, like some say, Kyler Murray, we, we, we should expect, you know, a potential year two leap. And, you know, we, I've, you know, I've talked about all offseason, how the 2020 Cardinals look a little bit like the 2019 Browns, but fantasy perspective, Kyler's rushing floor is just so high. I don't think that's really a fair comparison fantasy football wise. And we saw this run game last year already be one of the top units in the league up there with the Ravens, you know, bringing back Drake and, you know, having Kyler and Cliff still there. I, I think we should expect this offense adding Hopkins to take significant step forward, especially if they can kind of get back to that four wide receiver heavy offense that Kingsbury wanted to run in the first month of the season, had to kind of taper that off uh, once he realized it just wasn't quite working out yet. So the exciting thing here is we actually have some true ballers in this defense. I mean, adding Isaiah Simmons, we might have three blue chip dudes if he's as good as, you know, guys like Derwin James and Jamal Adams were able to be as rookies because Patrick Peterson took some big time lumps coming back from that suspension. But by the end of the year, he was starting to look like his old self. And also Chandler Jones, maybe one of the most underappreciated pass rushers in the entire league. I mean, 10 plus sacks in five straight seasons. This guy's incredible. One, maybe, maybe the premier Jones brother, if you really want to get into it, but, but we look at this and the NFC West, San Francisco, you know, we saw what they did last year, Seattle, as long as Russ is under center, they're going to be contending. Even the Rams, I mean, I'm a little worried about ranking the Rams fourth, although I probably would just because, you know, I still do have that respect for Sean McVay. So the path for the Cardinals, the roster looks good. It's just being this division, I think, is kind of their potential kryptonite. Not to mention first-round linebacker Isaiah Simmons, who it sounds like they're already going to misuse out the gates, but the he is such an elite specimen that even his talent could buck perhaps the way they mistreat him. Um, uh, in the in their personnel. Uh, having said that, I'm also I also think they just got better on the offensive line. Honestly, one of only seven teams to allow 50 sacks last year. But again, rushing quarterbacks historically take more sacks behind the line of scrimmage. And just by adding Josh Jones, one of the top prospects, and locking up uh, DJ Humphreys on the left side of the line, there's just a lot to like about this team. My own, my concern, my argument against them from trumping the Lions in our rankings would be the Seahawks and the 49ers. I would say it's impossible to argue against the Cardinals having the best offense of these eight teams. Sure. Yeah, that, that offense is fantastic. It's an offense-oriented league. We talk about the time. If they go out to 14-point leads and most of their games, then their defense is automatically going to look better. You know, you, you dictate what opposing offenses do when you have big leads, two-point lead or two-score leads on the scoreboard. Um, with that said, I just don't see how this team can immediately overcome the 49ers and Seahawks. I can see them, as you guys have said, overcome the Los Angeles Rams right now. I can make that case. Can't do it with the Rams. Uh, excuse me. Can't do it with the Seahawks. Can't do it with the 49ers. And to me, that's why I would put them third. Even though I love this offense more than any on this list and a lot of their defensive pieces more than the Dolphins and the Lions – I see an easier path when we consider the actual divisions of the Dolphins and the Lions than I do the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, and to the Cardinals' credit, I mean, they were kind of one of the first teams to have success against that 49ers defense last year, and that was why some some, uh, sharp people were kind of on the Chiefs, you know, also having an RPO-heavy offense. That was what gave the Cardinals a lot of success against San Fran. You know, should be a nice year-two leap from Kingsbury and Murray and everyone involved, but 
yeah, that's the tricky thing about this, uh, you know, this practice. That's why the Jaguars are up there. It's, you know, not just about the team. It's about who they're playing. And they're also raising a statue of Jimmy Garoppolo in Glendale right now, since he pretty much owns the county <laughs> last year against them. Okay. Let's I nominate. This is how we rank them. Uh, Cardinals three dolphins, two lions, one Deal. That's a clean sweep for the lines at number one. We all had lines at number one. I did not, but I knew you guys both did. So I'm just not going to waste, you know, another 45 minutes and try to argue that one. Can't um, Rick Flair. You can try. Can't beat him though. <laughs> okay. So this is our list of teams we think are most likely to go from worst to first, starting with the least likely at eight, the Carolina Panthers at seven, the Cincinnati Bengals at six, the Washington Redskins five Jacksonville Jaguars, four Los Angeles chargers, three Arizona Cardinals two Miami dolphins and one, the team that we feel is most likely to go from worst to first in their own division in the NFC North, the Detroit lions. And at number nine, macaroni and cheese with ketchup because it's never gone <laughs> worst to first ever. Oh, it's the worst. It's the worst. Good job, guys. This is a fun conversation, a fun exercise that we somewhat had planned out, roughly, I might add. But I think we nailed it. Yeah? Ian, you happy? I'm happy. You know, I, I will come back stronger, John, but I just feel I've been so outdone in the T-shirt game. And as we all know, to be the man, you got to beat the man. So I got to come back here next week and beat John Daigle. Learning a little bit. That means you can tell we've been hanging out too often together. <laughs> there you go. All right. That's going to do it for us. For Interjected John Daigle, for Ian Harditz, I am Josh Norris. We'll talk to you on Friday. Up the Villa. See you soon. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.